Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Josh, for, no one, for anyone who might not know me. I've been here for a little bit. It's actually been a while since I've preached last time, uh, and pretty much nothing has changed except for maybe one thing. Uh, I got married recently. Yeah. Thank you. And in all my weeks of marriage, just want to echo what God said in Genesis, that it is good. This week, I have the privilege of taking you through the next chapter in Nehemiah. We've been going through Nehemiah. Um, I don't think it could have came at a better time. This chapter is essentially a worship service, a prayer. Uh, chapter 9 is the longest prayer in the Bible that's, that's recorded. Last week we mentioned, and Jeff showed a clip of the Asbury Revival happening, and I picture this chapter as, uh, or maybe I should picture Asbury as a branch off of what happened, what happened here in Nehemiah. We're going to take a look into it, a dive into it. There was a testimony that I watched about the Asbury Revival, and it was a kid who was just, he, he drove six and a half hours to get to this spot. And he was just on fire for God, you can tell. He was just all, all about it. He goes, you know, I heard about God being at this one chapel. And if you don't know what this is, the chapel service started on a Sunday evening. After it, this service closed, they opened up a couple of worship songs. Kids said, hey, I kind of want to worship some more. And it continued on for almost two weeks of just nonstop people flooding in every chapel service and just wanting to be there. And this testimony, this kid came out and he said, um, man, I, I was six and a half hours away, but I, I knew if God was dwelling in some place, why would I let six and a half hour drive keep me from being in that same place, right? That's awesome. And he got there, and he goes, there's not, there wasn't any celebrity, there wasn't any fancy band. He goes, it's just ordinary people worshiping God. And he said, that's what revival is. It's a bunch of ordinary people who are hungry for God's word, amen? Hungry. Someone say, I'm hungry. Yeah, that guy's way too hungry. He needs some Taco Bell. <laughs> We're all hungry out here. And I think there's a, I don't know, maybe the Asbury sparked something in me. Maybe it's sparking something in you when we saw the clip last week. But I think there's a hunger that's starting to just trickle out in the nation right now. And I have to believe that there's a hunger for God. Did you know our souls yearn for God, right? That's why, um, that's why we, we do things, because we are looking for the yearning and the quench of hunger that can only come from God. We go to all kinds of things, right? There's the screen time on our phones. That's an easy one. TV shows, movies. People go into parties, into the drugs, into alcohol, into all sorts of avenues to fill that hunger and thirst that can only be filled by God. Amen? I'm starting at the end right now. This is the end. Someone needs to hear this, that you're hungry for God. He is here. He is in this place. Why do we hunger for that? Why do we yearn for God? Because we were not meant to live without the presence of God. We were not meant to live without the presence of God. Genesis 1, that's it. We were supposed to be in communion with God constantly. Man, you, you mind if I just preach first?
What do we do when we're spiritually starving? Where do we go? I know where we should go. We know what we ought to go do. We should be driving here. We should be at the altar. We should be on our knees. We should be praying to him. No hunger in the world. No, nothing in the world is going to satisfy that hunger. Okay? I, I don't know who needed to hear that or be reminded of it. Nothing's going to satisfy that hunger except for God. Nothing's going to satisfy that thirst except for God. Right? Jesus said, I, I am, I'll give you water that will never make you thirst again. That's easy. I'm not even into the verses yet. Okay, guys? Can someone get excited for God's presence? Ooh. Say, I want God's presence here. I want God's presence here too, Darlene. I'm not bringing anything special. I'm not here to say, I'm bringing God's presence. I'm just here to recognize God's presence is already here. Amen. This building is nothing without God's presence, without God's dwelling place. It, it was built many years ago only with the eyes focused on what's behind me right there, right? The cross, Jesus, God. Grab your Bibles in front of you. I don't have any slides today, but we're going to be working through chapter 9 of Nehemiah. And there's a lot of verses. It's going to be a lot easier if you can read along with me. Find it in the seat in front of you, on an app, whatever, whatever you like. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah was a celebration, the celebration of booths, the feast. And chapter 9 is confession and worship, which leads to chapter 10, which is covenant. I'm focusing in on chapter 9. I said before, it's the longest prayer recorded in the Bible, roughly 1,177 words. If you're bored this week, try counting the words in the message translation. It might take you a while. But a quick take on it is that the wall is already done. Nehemiah's, the construction is already done. But what's not done, the people's hearts, the people of God, the Israel, they're now building the foundations of their religion all over again. They, they go through this prayer, and the people are hungry, and they're confessing sin. They're confessing sin for their ancestors. Can you imagine confessing your sin for your great, great Aunt Pauline? I don't know who it was, but you're confessing someone's sin from a long time ago, and they're owning it, and they're presenting it before God. So let's get into it. Chapter 9 of Nehemiah. Verse 1, read along with me. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those, Israelite, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. So let's pause right there. On the 24th day, this assembly happened three days after the Feast of Tabernacles, two days after the Solemn Assembly. Uh, it's a continuation. Let's say that. Fasting, for anyone who might be unclear, is most simply you're sacrificing something in your life to turn your focus to God. Food is a big thing. It's not for the dietary or healthy benefits. It's for the refocusing and energy and time spent on something and putting it to God. That's what fasting is. It says they're a fasting. 
the sackcloth that it mentions, it's uh, like a burlap bag. It's kind of, kind of um, I don't know what the word is. It's the opposite of the Sunday best that we get, right? You've heard the Sunday best. Let's get a suit and tie on. And they're not exactly dressing up for this service. If anything, they're dressing down. Right after that, it says they, they put dirt on their heads. It was literal dirt was on their heads. This is a sign of mourning, sign of sorrow. And what are they mourning? Thanks for asking. They're mourning their sin. Isn't that beautiful? They know they're going to confess everything that they've done wrong. And they're going to mourn it like a death. They're going to say, we're burying this sin away. And we're here to mourn. Gosh, we've gotten away from, from being prepared when we get to church. These people are prepared when they walk through the door. We come in and it's like a, we, we expect a show. We expect the worship leader to do all the work. They're going to do all the worshiping we need. They're going to set the thing. They're going to do the, the preacher is going to do everything we need. We're spoon feeding you guys how to be good, how to be better, how to do this. And these people, these, this time right here, they, they arrived into the walls ready to go. When's the last time you came through the walls you were ready to go? Gosh, I want to go to that service. I want to go to that revival. People are hungry right there. They're already hungry. They're prepared. They're expecting God to show up. They're even dressing in a way, in a manner, kind of like when we go to a funeral, a lot of people wear darker colors. We're expecting to mourn the sin, the death of a past history, the death of a past life maybe, in, in, in hopes that we enter into the new life. Amen? Man, I'm preaching, yo. They separated themselves from all foreigners in verse 2, says that. This passage isn't meant for the outside world. There's plenty of passages and things that were go, preach, reach, and teach, right? This prayer, this place was meant for the God, the, the people of God, the Israelites, the chosen people. They were in the right posture. Gosh, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we can put ourselves into the right posture. We expect you, and we pray for your presence to be here today. Amen. Let's move on. Verse 3. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were all of these names, they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And all of these other names said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, I know I was going to butcher one of those names, so I'll let you guys read them to yourselves later. But can we just back up? A quarter of the day they read from the word. And a quarter of the day they worshiped the Lord. Now, a day for them is like uh, sunrise, sunset, roughly 12 hours, if we want to put it there. That's three hours of reading from the word and three hours of worship service. Well, pastor, I was going to, you know, volunteer for children's ministry, but then I heard the services were six hours pass. Can you, can you imagine if we didn't get out of here today until 4 p.m.? Man, that's a long time. 
But I'll tell you what, we can't put a time stamp on what God does in people's lives. What? When they expected God to be there. When they expected and came prepared and fasting and ready and dressed to impress. Who were they impressing? They Lord. They weren't impressing. They didn't have the, the biggest hat on with the fluff and the flowers poking out, right? They had dirt. After the service, we're going to have a big bucket of dirt outside. And I want you to just dump it all over yourself and then go eat whatever you're going to eat. And just see how it changes your perspective. I bet you might be a little humbled. I don't know. Um, Dylan's nodding like he does that every day. I don't know. I'm not going to judge you, Dylan. But in verse 3, it says they confessed and they worshipped right at the end there. Confessing and worshipping for a quarter of the day. Worship. The Hebrew word for worship conveys the idea of paying homage or bowing down in reverence to the presence of God. Isn't that beautiful? This word is used 175 times in the Bible. 175 times seems like an awful lot of bowing down to the reverence of God. 175 times almost feels like more than enough reason for us not to wait till heaven to bow down in his presence, amen? Not to wait till heaven to give him what he deserves. Ooh, that's good. Our natural response when we're expecting is this word here, the bowing down in reverence. Verse 5, or the end of verse 5, starts this prayer. Read along with me. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens and the highest heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything. The multitudes of heaven worship you. Wow. Let's pause right there. Wow. That's our opening prayer. That's Genesis 1. I'm going to be throwing references at you guys if you want to write them down for later. But Genesis 1 and 2, the author of everything. That's how they start their prayer. The next time you're praying for your food, I dare you to start like this. And see how it changes how you might be grateful for things. When you start with, you alone are the Lord who made the heavens, even the highest heavens. Wow. Verse 7. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur into the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, the Kelebites, the Megabites, the Uralites. I don't know. I don't know. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. It's the end of verse 8. This is the story of Abraham. We find it in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and a few other chapters there. But let's continue forward. Verse 9. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. You knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. 
By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. Let's just pause here. We're now out of Genesis, the references of Genesis. We're into the Exodus now, right? Moses. Exodus 1, chapter 1, all the way through 15, a.k.a. the prince of Egypt. Let's go. Some of you need to be reminded that you need to triumph through your tragedy. It's a call back to one of my sermons I gave about the Red Sea. We have to walk through that Red Sea. God makes the way, but we have to walk through it. You have to get there. That's just a drop of what's in this prayer. We're working through this prayer. It's almost like we're taking Old Testament survey right here. People like to bash on the Old Testament God a lot. If you take this prayer right here, this sums up who God is in the Old Testament. Who God is in the Old Testament. Remember that. Let's go to verse 13. He continues and he says, You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave commands and decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with the uplifted hand to give them. Whew. The giving of the law. Exodus chapter 16 through 20, the commandments. Let's just pause here. First of all, some of you didn't think I could read, so I'm 15 verses. I'm doing pretty good. Um, but we got some more to work through, and I'm going to try to work through more of these, and I want to keep throwing things at you and keep pursuing this prayer as it's a prayer for us here and now, just as much as it was a prayer for them. Verse 16, but they... Our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf, and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Just pause right here. So this is a reference to Exodus 32, the golden calf, the blasphemies, the sin, the rebellion. And can we just appreciate how honest this prayer is? How honest are you in your prayers? This is raw. This is all of the bad and all of the good. This is everything in between, everything before and after. It's not the Instagram version of their faith plan from God. It's everything. You know, God, you chose us. God, you made us. God, you did this. But then we made a golden calf. Like, come on, guys. That's terrible. Stiff-necked. You see that a couple of times. Stiff-necked. Um, you'll see it again later. But stiff-necked is actually a reference to, it's a jab at there being like the cow that they're worshiping. They're a stiff neck like a cow. The golden calf that they idolized is what they were slowly becoming like. They were stiff necked in their rebellion. So be careful what you idolize because soon you'll start to look like it. Soon you'll start to reflect what it is you're spending more time with. Are you spending more time with God or anything else? What are you idolizing? That's going to start, you're going to start to look like it. You're going to start to talk like it. 
verse 19. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Ooh pause right there. Exodus 33 all the way into Numbers now. We're working through the Old Testament. They were basing it out of the, the Pentateuch, right? They go through everything they've had. They reference a lot here. And it's a miracles. There's like this next little clip with the miracles. It's the little miracles I think we miss. I think we understand the Red Sea is a big miracle, but we f- forget that it says they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. That's crazy. You don't think about how your clothes were out for 40 years in a desert being beat up by the elements. It says their feet didn't swell. It doesn't say their feet didn't smell. Okay, don't get it twisted. We don't know how bad those feet might have smelt. We just know they didn't swell. Verse 22. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers They took over the country of Sihon, king of Eshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and the people of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well they ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. This references now into the book of Joshua, the giving of the land, the milk and honey. Uh, the overflowing of promises fulfilled, yeah? We have uh, Abraham who was promised descendants, and here it says his descendants were as numerous as the stars. We have Moses who was promised the land, and here we have Joshua who's entered into the land, and the Israelite people have now been there. Verse 26, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law, they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when you were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the land of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, They did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies, so they ruled over you. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. This this reference is, uh, it's now we're in the judges, the people's rebellion. This could easily be called the sermon, the people's rebellion. Uh, We're rebellious people, and we always turn from God. And here are we seeing the pattern that when they turn, God, God hears when they cry. They cried out and God heard. 
then they turned away from him, and then God came back. God is faithful. If there's any one reminder today to you, it is that God is faithful. Go to verse 29. You warned them in order to turn back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. This reference is First and Second Kings. And the people don't listen to the prophets. They fall back into sin and bondage from which once they came. So the cycle continues. This is, this is still a prayer. This, is, this prayer is the longest prayer, right? We're, we're still working through. Um, we believe it to be Ezra who's praying this prayer, but it's not exactly clear, and I think that's on purpose. I think they're not trying to give recognition to any one person. I'm sure there was more said. Remember, it was a six-hour service. Uh, there was probably more words, but this is what we have to work off of. This is what was recorded for us to, to learn from, to pray even ourselves, that God is faithful. We're going to mess up. The people of God have messed up, but it's okay. God is faithful. He will come to us when we cry out to him. There's a lot of themes that can be drawn out of here, and grace and mercy in this last uh, verse 31, it says, "Your great mercy, because of your great mercy, you do not put an end to them. You are gracious and mercy, God. I, I can think of um, a few years back, I got pulled over. I got a speeding ticket, right? And let's, you know what, let's not use me. Let's pretend you're speeding, and it's probably not too hard to picture this. It might have happened on the way here. You're speeding, and you get pulled over. You have a ticket. He writes you a ticket. You're, you're going 25, maybe 30 miles over the speed limit. You deserve that ticket. You, he writes you a ticket. Uh, some of you are like, this is a little too familiar. I don't like this. Hang on tight. It's okay. Um, he gives you a ticket. You pay for the ticket. That's justice, correct? Well, imagine you get pulled over. They write the ticket. And then he rips it up because, you know what? I'm going to let you go. It's okay. That is mercy. That is mercy. You deserved that ticket, and he lets you off. So you, you don't receive something you deserve. Another scenario, you get pulled over, and he writes the ticket. And this time, and I'll use your imagination with me, he pulls out a $20 bill. And not he gives you $20 and says, hey, have a great day. Go get something for yourself. That's nice. That's grace. You're getting something you don't deserve. You deserved a ticket. He gave you $20. I don't know in what world that works, but I would love to be a part of that society. One more scenario. Pulls over. You're speeding again. You're speeding a lot today. You get pulled over, and he writes the ticket. He goes, you know what? 
you deserve this ticket, but I am going to pay for this ticket. And he reaches in his pocket again and gives you $20. (laughs) That is mercy, grace, and now justice. And that's what God has done for us. He made a way where justice could be right. Sin, the cost of sin was death. And through Jesus, he made that justice system right. But also because, also without, like, as a part of that, right, he gives you the, we, we, we deserve death. We deserve the cost of sin. Yet he says, I'm a merciful God. And I'm a gracious God. He gives us life that we don't deserve. All because of Jesus. And that is just one, one of the little themes I just wanted to throw out there. This prayer starts to shift a little bit. We've been going kind of in uh, chronological order through the Old Testament. And then you see a shift here from Ezra, perhaps, praying in verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all these hardships seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, and all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous, you have acted faithfully, all the while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commandments or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in, your, in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land that you gave, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Verse 36, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruits and other good things. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Wow. The last line there, we are in great distress. That's Ezra. That's the people of God here in this chapter crying out to the Lord again. Right? We see the crying out of at least three times in this prayer. And now Ezra is owning his cry to the Lord because they are once again in great distress. They once again, you know, spoiler alert, we failed again. <laughs> and I love the Bible because it's not afraid to put the failures in. It's not afraid to put the dirt in. And some of these people put the dirt on their heads, just like you can do later if you really want to going to keep pushing that. <laughs> now there's a lot that can be taken. We can go we can de- dive deeper into this these stories that were drawn out from the Old Testament. Um, there's just a couple of things I want to sink into. 12 times it says that God uh, gives. The Hebrew word the translation comes from gives, sent or provides in English. That word is used 12 times in this prayer. Twelve times in this prayer. How many gates were on the wall? Twelve. How many tribes of Judah? Twelve. How many disciples did Christ have? Twelve. Any correlation? I don't know. Probably not. There's, there's, there's plenty to look at, but I want to look at one major theme that I see in this, in this prayer 
because this, this was the end of the prayer. I want to pull out one major theme I see in the prayer as I see in all of the Bible. And write this down if anyone, anyone can. <laughs> but God. But God. But with one T, okay? Don't make it weird. But God. There's this reoccurring theme. And what do I mean by but God? That makes no sense, Josh. What are you talking about? Verse 16, flip back a little bit. What does it start with? It starts with, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your command. But they rebelled from him, yeah? And in verse 17, if you notice it, it says, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. But you, God. For every time there is a but they turned away, but we turned away, but we fell short, there is a but God didn't, but God remained, but God is faithful, amen? But God, verse 17, let me rephrase it, it says, you know, they turned from their ancestors, it says, but God is forgiving, but God is gracious and compassionate. But God is slow to anger and abounding in love. This echoes Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul says, We were dead in our transgressions and sin, living by the flesh and not of the Lord. But God made us alive in Christ. Ooh, The cycle goes on. As we saw the cycle in this prayer, we turn from him, he's good. He turn from him, he's good. But they cry out, he comes. He cry out, he comes. It's the whole thing over and over again. And the theme, I think, of the entire Bible, right? God made us in the Garden of Eden. And after sin entered the world, it was a sinful world. But God redeemed us by Jesus, right? Amen? That's the simplest of gospels, but God redeems us. But God is faithful. And I got to say, there's more to it. There's, the devil is out there. There is forces and enemies trying to right, seek, kill, and destroy. Someone is out there trying to take all of the people he can with him to hell, to Hades, to wherever you want to call it. The lake of fire for all eternity. And we are fighting constantly against that and the devil is throwing out every weapon in his arsenal right and he's he's got some power it's no God's power it's not even close God has the victory but he has some things he has some things that can distract us he has some things that can get under our skin get into our lives into our families into our friend groups he has certain things that can work that can do good but if you can remember but God is better Nothing else can hurt you. Nothing else can torment you. See, the devil says, I'm pouring out a spirit of anxiety. I'm pouring out rage and anger, addiction, unforgiveness, insanity, restlessness, all of these things. But God says, I'm pouring out truth. Amen? God says, I'm pouring out peace to the restless. I'm pouring out grace and mercy. I have already sufficed justice. You just must believe in me. God says, I'm pouring out revival. Come on. Yeah. Nehemiah's got to be the first revival ever recorded. And man, do we want it here. Man, do we got to be hungry for it here. 
Nehemiah, the Israelites, just like us, we turn our eyes from the Lord. But what's, what's the but God for us today? But God hears us when we cry out. Just like he heard Abraham. Just like he heard Moses. Just like he heard Joshua. And all of these stories I just kind of touched on. He heard them when they cried out. When they were in great distress like Ezra. When they were in bondage. When they were there and they cried out. God answered. God was faithful yeah, the devil might be pouring out some evil things, some evil spirits, some whatever it might be. You might be a little confused. You might be a little bit of this or that. But God says, I'm pouring out deliverance. Amen? I'm pouring out desperation. I'm pouring out goodness. I'm pouring out revival again. I'm pouring out a hunger and a thirst for a spirit like no other. I'm pouring out something fresh on Lighthouse Community Church. I'm pouring out something new in your families, in your friend groups. I'm pouring out something good that you won't be able to stop. Come on, someone get excited besides me. I'm pouring out truth. I'm pouring out love. I'm pouring out forgiveness. I'm giving you restoration. I'm giving you healing. I'm giving you life and life in abundance. Come on. God is pouring out life. And what do we got to do? We got to cry out. We have to cry out. We're not crying out loud enough. We're not crying out enough times in a day. We're not crying out enough times in a month or a year. If your prayer looks like something like, dear Jesus, bless this food, you're missing out what he has for you, yeah? You're missing out what he wants for your life. Man, we got to conclude three things from, these, from, from the people of Nehemiah. One, they were hungry with expectation. Oh, two, they came prepared. They wanted it. They dressed up for it. They mourned for it. And three, they cried out. Man, they cried out. If this passage tells us anything today, it's telling us to confess and worship our faithful God. Man. I've got more notes, but this, this is where we need to stop. This is where we need to be. This is where God wants us. God's presence is already here. It's already here. We're just going to recognize it today. Can, you, can we all please stand up? We're going to go into a time of response. I believe God is asking for us to cry out just like the Israelites. We're going to play a song, and we'll have the words up there, but if this is uncomfortable for you, there's, there's so many ways to respond to crying out to God. For God... To touch your life. If anything, if you don't know and you, you don't understand, read this chapter again as the song plays. Make this prayer your prayer. Insert your life into that, into this scripture. It's a powerful prayer. Raise your hands. Bow down. Worship him. Find space up here. Find space on the side. No one needs to look around. If we cry out to God today, he will answer. We believe it. We believe it with all we are. If the Israelites could cry out for half of a day, gosh, Lord, certainly we can cry out for just a few minutes. All focus must be on him. All focus has to turn to him. Prepare your hearts. Prepare something. And, and just, just be in his presence. Be in this 
in this worship. And, and Pastor Jeff and I have talked about this, but I think there's going to be more. I think more of you might want to experience something more. That maybe you want some prayer. Maybe you need some healing. Maybe you need some love. At the end of this song, we'll, we'll have more time. And we'll create a space where you can come experience. Come believe that God's going to hear your cry. And at the end, that's, that's all we can do is believe that he's going to hear our cry. It's time and time and time again, he's already done that. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. And if the stars amaze the worship, so alive, I can see your heart in nature. Every burning star signal fire great And if creation sings your praises so
chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion fairies disappear. We well, lost your life so I could find it here. And if you left the grave behind you so alive, I can see. not easy to come forward. It's probably been a long time since you've moved in your chair in the direction of the front of the church, but Josh and I have made a commitment to stay today. And if you have things that you need to do, we're not going to ask you to stay and be part of what we feel God is calling us to do, which is to cry out to him. If you have brokenness in your life, if you have regrets, if you have a broken relationship, if you have health issues, this is just going to be an old-fashioned, old-school space to come forward. If you want to pray with me, if you want to pray by yourself, if you want to kneel at the stairs, we're just going to create space. And that means if you have somewhere you need to go and something that you need to do, we're not going to do the tra traditional dismissing. You're free to go as, as soon as the Lord calls you. But in the same sense, you're free to stay and you're free to worship. And we will worship with you. And we're not asking for God to do anything that he hasn't already done. So this morning, if you need that space, it's available to you and to your family. And to you online, if you need it, come on in. If you, if you have to send a prayer request in, just let us know. We'll be praying for you. But we are going to have a, a pretty good amount of extended time here just to be with the Lord. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you don't know who Christ is, please don't leave this building today without taking advantage of the first revival in the Bible. Israel needed it then and we need it today. If you need it today, we will stay and we will be here until the last person is prayed with. May God bless you. May God keep you. May Jesus be your source of encouragement. Please take a time of extended worship with us at this time.